Hi, this is Richard Watts, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Now, March last year was a bit of a grim month for many people, particularly performers in the arts industry, in the theatre sector and dance and much more, when the federal government announced that gatherings of under 500 people weren't possible, then a couple of days later, gatherings of over 100 people were no longer possible because of COVID. It meant that theatre productions across the country didn't just grind to a halt, they closed overnight. One of those productions was the musical Come From Away, which is now reopened at the Comedy Theatre and is running for a strictly limited season here in Melbourne until the 21st of March. Its Associate Director, Daniel Goldstein, joins us on the line. Daniel, good morning and thank you for joining us. Good morning, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Now, for people who haven't yet seen Come From Away, on paper, it may sound like an unusual subject for a musical. It's not necessarily a a 9-11 musical, it's a a 9-12 musical. It's about the days immediately after the attacks of September 11, when thousands of people find themselves grounded in a a small island off the coast of uh, North America. The world has ground to a halt. These people are lost and frightened, uh, and yet they are welcomed by strangers. Is One of the reasons that Come From Away has been so successful is because ultimately it's about hope and community rather than the fear that was generated by 9-11 itself. Yeah, I think that's true. And um, one of the things that's really remarkable about Come From Away is that it's about people in a time of adversity uh, who are able to, because it's not because they have to, but because it's just what you innately do, is take care of each other. Um, I think it's really interesting that, you know, our show uh, started running on Broadway just after the Trump presidency began, and here we are re-beginning uh, again today just after its ending. And, um, and, and I think that it is a, a, a musical that gives people a sense of hope uh, during a time of adversity. And I think that uh, certainly following the pandemic and what has happened, especially in Melbourne, where you went through such an extraordinary, harsh and um, and rigid lockdown, that that sacrifice for the common good was able to um, give you the freedom and safety that you have now. One of the things that delights me about the fact that Come From Away is, has reopened at the Comedy Theatre is not just because it's an opportunity to go and see a genuinely moving and entertaining and rousing piece of musical theatre, but it also means that over 400 people have now got jobs again from the the singers and actors and musicians who we see on stage to the many stagehands backstage, the ushers and so on in the theatre as well. Uh, I I said earlier in the show that perhaps the rest of the world is looking hopefully at Australia at the moment because our theatres are reopening, whereas in the West End and Broadway they're still closed. How important is it that... uh, How important is the message that the reopening of Come From Away sends here in Melbourne out to the rest of the world? It's it's extraordinarily important. You know, uh, the associate choreographer Ricky Hines and I both shared, uh, you know, the speech that we gave uh, for the for the first performances 
and it's it's sort of gone viral in our theater communities with you know twenty some odd thousand views and people sharing it constantly. And then before the first performance, you know, uh, our upstage wall is a sort of wood slatted thing, and so before the show, you can sort of peek through the slats and see the audience. And I took a photo of our first full theater and posted it. And I think that that post has given so much hope for our um, our friends and colleagues in theater in the States that it will be possible to come back to it. It sort of seems like a fantasy land, another world that, that we're able to do this at this point. But I think that um, Australia and Melbourne in particular, the cultural capital, have been able to really find a way to um, give hope and inspiration to uh, 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 an entire industry that is devastated and in, in mourning. Now, the notion of devastation and mourning clearly plays out in Come From Away. As we said, it's set in the immediate aftermath of, of 9-11. But it's very much a hopeful production and watching it when I saw it in 2019 yes I was crying a lot throughout the show because it is very moving but I was also laughing uproariously as well for you Daniel as the associate director when you first heard about the project what was your immediate response because this is not a show in drama by nature, usually arises out of conflict in the theatre. Uh, this is not necessarily a story of conflict. What were your immediate thoughts when you first heard about the project? Did you think this feels like an unusual subject for a musical? Uh, well, you know, as, as a writer myself who's drawn to prospects of things that are sort of impossible to stage, I thought, well, that sounds like fun. Um, I, I think that in seeing it for the first time, I was immediately grabbed by the inherent theatricality of it. I am attracted to plays and musicals that um, don't attempt to be filmic in their, or, or hyper-realistic in their representations on stage, but to do things that only theater can do, which is to grab an audience and require that they use their imaginations to put themselves into the story. And I think that's what Come From Away does so incredibly well. And you know, as far, I think it's a very apt um, notion that, that this is not a musical that is based in conflict, where one person wants something and one person wants something else, and their job throughout the course of the drama is to figure out how they're going to get it and what they're up against to get it. And really here, the, the conflict is the situation itself, that all these people want to do is to get home, and all the Newfoundlanders want to do is make sure that they're taken care of. So we have sort of 9-11 itself and the, the situation in the world is the conflict, is, apart from, you know, some simpler things like hurricanes that are, are finding their way to uh, keep them in their place as they, as they try to get out of Newfoundland to go home. And, and really, it's a re-examination of what it means to be home, what a home is and what conflict of this kind of scale does to the very notion of where you are, who your home is where your home is and what that actually means. For the cast and crew uh, who had worked on the original season of Come From Away in Melbourne before it closed, I imagine many of them uh, have come back to the theatre. The theatre itself feels like home for them. Have you had to recast many of the roles or bring in many new musicians for this remount? The band is all the same band. Uh, we do have a new associate music director, um, but... 
In terms of the actors, there are 12 actors on stage. Three of them are new to our company. Three of the men, uh, for various reasons, have decided not to come back for this for this season. But we have also added two standbys. Uh, you know, as tw- there are 12 people on stage, but we have to make sure that if anyone isn't feeling well, that they don't have to come to work. So we used to have six, uh, three men and three women to cover the roles. We now have eight uh, for reasons of COVID, so that we made sure that people really were covered and that no one would ever come to work if they felt a sniffle. But also we wanted to make sure that, especially given the Black Lives Matter movement that went through, that we wanted to make sure that the, the two roles in the, in the musical that are specifically designated as black performers were, would always be covered by black performers as well. So we've added uh, two extraordinary black performers to our, our um, standby group, and we're thrilled to have them there. Now, I wanted to briefly talk about the the music of Come From Away itself. It's not, uh, it does not sound like a traditional Broadway musical. And for, uh, I have some friends who sometimes get a little bit suspicious of musicals, uh, and I've played them some of the music, and they've been intrigued by the fact that uh, there's really only one big kind of show tune style number kind of uh, in the production. But musically, it weaves in... I guess the the traditional music of Newfoundland, which has an Irish influence, for example, so that we hear uh, flutes, there's accordions, there's different styles of instrumentation, uh, and uh, musically it feels very different to a a traditional musical theatre work. Yeah, uh, David Hine and Irene Senkoff are writers. David uh, grew up and was a big sort of Newfoundland music nerd, and so he was able to sort of take on his roots of his favorite Newfoundland bands. And you're right, there is a very much an Irish influence to it. We, uh, one of the, the first instrument you hear is the sort of hand drum called a bowron. Um, and that sort of boom, 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 that can change its, its tone based on where the hand is in the, in the drum itself. And yeah, the, the music does, the, you sort of never quite know where the music begins and the dialogue ends and most of it is entirely underscored, so it just feels like of a piece. We, we only have three applause points in the show. After the very first number, uh, after the sort of big screech-in where all the Newfoundlanders welcome the, the come-from-aways into sort of their fold with a bit of a ceremony that they call a screech-in, screech being a, a sort of rum-like alcohol that they drink up there that is, is um, it's a, it's a, uh, an acquired taste, if you will, and, and then at the very end of the show. So the, the the music really feels of a piece of the storytelling, and and the storytelling feels of a piece of it. And so, yeah, uh, you know, for those who don't like musicals, it doesn't feel like a musical. Although I would also just say, as a as a lover of great music and also music theater, I sort of feel like for people who say they don't like musicals, they just sort of haven't seen good ones yet. <laughs> That's, I, I think that there's something that music can do in theater that, that nothing else quite can capture and certainly come from a way the music and the storytelling are, are, are of a piece. You can't really separate one from the other. The way they are woven together throughout this show really is kind of remarkable and as you say, uh, music can do things as an art form that other 
styles of performance can't, which is why when I saw Come From Away, I was weeping throughout, sometimes with joy, sometimes in sorrow, and laughing almost simultaneously. There's such an emotive power to this work that I suspect uh, will only be intensified given the the long, gruelling months of, of 2020. The, the fact that we've come out the other side of that, that we can gather together again and share in something communally will make the experience of seeing Come From Away again, I suspect, even more important. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I certainly think that we've looked at it as a company through a new lens of being, you know, locked up and having our lives disrupted in such an enormous way and having to rely on each other to get through this time. Um, but as, as you said, there's so much joy in the show that the moments of tears are, are sort of grace notes on that. Um, certainly there's not a lot of crying in the show. Uh, the actors are, are very expressly forbidden to cry within the confines of their acting choices because we feel like if it is up to, it's up to the story itself to bring on tears in an audience if they, if they so choose. But really it's a, it's a story of joy and laughter and of, camaraderie in, in a time of crisis and, you know, going through those times brings uh, uh, some really amazing connections and, and ones that are, are, are things that will be shared forever. I certainly feel that way about this time with my family being sort of sequestered together in a way that we haven't ever been able to be because of work and because of the sort of vagaries of life. And so, I, you know, uh, I think for everyone, times of strife bring lemonade from lemons. Come From Away is now showing at the Comedy Theatre, 240 Exhibition Street, Melbourne, until the 21st of March. You can find out uh, more, including uh, ticket details and how to book at comefromaway.com.au. After its Melbourne season, it heads north, uh, going up to uh, Brisbane and to Sydney. So uh, if you've got friends interstate, they can check it out as well. I've been chatting with Come From Away's Associate Director, Daniel Goldstein. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. Triple R. Ian Sinclair is directing a production of the American drama Burn This at 45 Downstairs, presented by 16th Street Actors Studio. Ian, good morning. Good morning, Richard. How are you? Very well, very well indeed. Thank you. Oh, good. Now, I'm intrigued by this play. It's uh, a drama, an American drama from 1987. It's been described Mm. as, I mean, it is a romance on one level, but it's not a happy romance. It's about two characters who, instead of saying, I love you, essentially say, I don't want this. There's a a lot of conflict here, as well as kind of uh, drama and desire bubbling away under the surface. Yes, that's right. I mean, it, it, it's it's one of those plays, I guess, which de- delves into the cosmic joke of attraction. I guess you know, the, the, um, a, a terrible event happens in this play that, that that pulls two people from two quite different cultures in New York together, and sort of contrary to what their um, you know their brains or their aesthetic consciousness might think, um, they're they're strangely drawn to each other. But um, it's a it's one of those deep loves that um, is so beyond thinking. You know. That, that, that it's quite terrifying. And so it, it, it's quite an extraordinary play on that level that you have two people who actively think they don't want something and yet keep finding themselves being drawn together. So in rehearsal, we've been talking about the 
you know, the archetypes like um, Beatrice and Benedict, you know, the, the, the two lovers, the get-a-room mechanism, I guess, you know, where everybody else knows except the people who are fighting with each other that actually they should be together. It's, I guess it reinforces that sometimes desire uh, can feel dangerous but irresistible simultaneously, where like moths drawn to a flame, you know that this could be bad for you, but you can't resist the attraction. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly it. You know, I mean, it's one of the things we work on here with the, at the Actors Studio with Actors, which is, you know, falling in love doesn't always feel great. You know, there's a great sense of, of, of fear that happens with it. Like Kurt Vonnegut, I think, once said that the heart's overrated when people talk about love. It's actually a pain in the gut. And, um, and the this, this place certainly grabs hold of all that. It's a really visceral, messy piece of work on that level, you know, and it sort of shows how, how love, when it sideswipes you, can, can really bring out the best and the worst in you. And all of this is in the context of grief as well. You know, the play was written at sort of the crest of the AIDS epidemic in, in New York, you know, the unspoken epidemic. And so you can feel, even though it's never mentioned in the play, you can feel uh, that anxiety around the piece, which has been really interesting for us rehearsing, of course, in this context now. And one of the things that's intriguing about Burn This is a play, as you say, yes, it's written at the, the peak of the, the AIDS epidemic, but uh, instead of uh, death being, uh, I mean, because there is death that, that, that brings character together that that mm. kind of kickstarts the drama um, but it's an accidental death it's a drowning so as if the the playwright was very deliberately resisting the the tropes of life that he was seeing around him at the time yeah which I think is really interesting the fact that, that it's never mentioned is, is is really extraordinary you know there's a lot of talk about the fact that the whole play in some ways is a metaphor for um, for the experience that, that gay people were going through in New York at the time. You know, Lanford Wilson uh, came up through the, the Chino scene in, in New York, you know, where, where people were putting plays on in cafes and happenings and all that sort of stuff that was happening down in the village in the 60s and 70s. He came up through all of that. And um, and you, you can feel in the play that it's, that it's got sort of really strong symbolic qualities in it, but at the same time it feels, feels like normal people sort of messily scrabbling around trying to find their lives, you know. And so there's something really comforting in that in a way you know we, we've all been we've all done ugly terrible and embarrassing things that we that was you know especially um when you're falling in love and you don't want to um that you know we, we, we i'm so glad that nobody was watching me or recording me when i was going through this but in burn this you get to see all of that you know and and but yeah you you do get a feeling of of the world as a, as, at the time in the, in the late 80s in new york the last time uh, i think i interviewed you ian was uh, you were working on an MTC production, uh, A View from yeah. the Bridge. And I remember something from that conversation. You spoke about some, uh, one of the ways that you direct and, uh, and stage drama, the blocking on stage. You, you talked about it being almost operatic uh, in a way. Uh, and I wonder whether we're going to see similar heightened emotion and, and stillness <laughs> and control in, in this production. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, a view from the bridge, the, the idea of sort of allowing that sort of largeness in that particular production came directly out of hearing Arthur Miller talking about the fact that he was explicitly trying to write uh, Euripidean tragedy, you know, and um, and when you when you go back to the Greeks, they're, they're certainly not shy of, of, the, of, the, of the large emotions, you know, and, and, and sort of doing whatever they can to trigger what they called catharsis, you know. Um, and so that, that strongly informed a view from the bridge, which was 
it's the, one of the tightest, certainly Miller's tightest piece of writing. You know, the play, the play is written like a clock. It's so extraordinarily co- cogently written, I think. You know, and there's so many different takes on that play, and it still seems to survive every take that people take on, have on it. Um, but, I mean, on, on this level, yeah. I mean, for me, I'm always looking for the larger messier qualities in human life in, in plays, you know, I, think, uh, I, I wouldn't describe myself as a postmodern director in, in that sense, you know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not attracted necessarily to the high concept, I'm, I'm very attracted to the visceral, to the, to the human and to the, uh, you know, and, and to, to the, 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 the large emotions that still exist inside all of us, it's not like, you know, um, the, the, the stuff that we experience, that we experience when we watch opera is ex- external to us, every human being has this range of emotions in us and i love plays that give us the opportunity to to share that and so yes this play certainly has a lot of that i don't i wouldn't say it's going to be as controlled <laughs> as a view to the bridge and we've got more we've got a few more props than a single chair in this particular <laughs> one <laughs> which the, the actors are very happy about but one of them did take me aside and say can we have we're not just going to be one chair and you're not going to take that away from us on opening night are you? <laughs> yeah so there's a little bit more here but i am a massive fan of of putting actors in a room with a with a with a writer, you know, and for them to duke it out and to to have the absolute minimum of of things to hide behind. So we because if you do that, you have to get to the situation of a thing because there's nothing else, and you really feel it. You know, if you're using anything else to hide or to to coat the production, then um, then uh, you can hide. You know, those those big those big sort of choices can be hidden. But if if, the, if it's only the situation of the play and only the actors in the room and the audience there, then we have to attend to it rather than speak. You know, talk ourselves out of it. And this play is like that. You know, it's the, it's. I came across it uh, through uh, actor studio work, you know, where um, here at 16th Street, you know, we get Larry Moss and Ellen Burstyn and those people through. And this particular this play is regularly featured on the on their list of of uh, scenes for us to work on, and it's because um, it is just you know completely open and and open hearted and and requires an Olympic standard of emotional acting, you know? Um, uh, yeah, so it wasn't Arto said that actors are athletes of the heart, and this certainly is a play that requires athletes of the heart. And I, for, you know, to be able to stick a play on right now after all of the sort of, you know, time we've spent in rooms over the past few months, this, this play certainly, I hope, will, will tear open the field again for other actors for the rest of the year to be able to express their, you know, their, the rawness of their being with, with audiences, which is what theatre is all about. It's kind of the opposite of Zoom, in a way. Now, speaking of Zoom and speaking of putting actors in a room together, how difficult has it been to rehearse this production? Uh, I mean, I know there, there have definitely been points in the last nine months where gathering together, shouting at one another uh, uh, and kind of breathing heavily in one another's direction, all of the things which are necessary in a rehearsal room, that's been dangerous. Have you had to rehearse this online for the most part? Or Yeah, we well, absolutely, Richard. Yeah, we... Um... We we started we started work, working on the piece about a, a year ago because we you know uh, originally going to open uh, last year with this show and um, and but rather than let it let it die down you know to stop rather than just let it stop and then pick it up again so whenever we knew we were going to be able to start the show again we we we'd meet every Thursday on Zoom um, sort of at ten o'clock at night and go through it all and um, I mean so the plays had a lot of table work uh, but. 
what we found, though, and this is, this is, actors uh, listening to this will really appreciate this, is that there's something in Zoom where once you once the experience level gets a bit operatic, once it gets a little bit uh, big, um, Zoom sort of loses its mojo a bit and, and starts to panic and doesn't know who to who to stick on. You know, because this place as well has. Um, lots of simultaneous dialogue. Lanford Wilson was one of the first playwrights to really pioneer sophisticated simultaneous dialogue. And Zoom just, the algorithm didn't know what to do with that. <laughs> and so it was like, it was like the, the program kept telling us to settle down, which I thought was very interesting. Um, when we got back in the room, it was funny, we were, it was kind of like we got drunk on each other's company for a bit there. I felt like a toddler, you know, when the cool uncle turns up. We're all just really sort of hyper aware of each other and, and and yeah it was quite a strange experience and so it took us another week to settle back down shake the plaque off and get back down to the to the business at hand and that's really been this this month you know since we came back if you've just tuned in, I'm speaking with Ian Sinclair, who's directing a production of the play Burn This, uh, presented by 16th Street Actors Studio, on at 45 downstairs from next week, uh, the 26th of January, Invasion Day, through to the 7th of February. Now, as well as directing this production, Ian, you're also uh, the what the head of acting for yeah. um, 16th Street Actors Studio. Now, we're talking about... Uh, uh, an acting studio, a theatre school, a place of training and learning. Does this production mean that 16th Street are changing the way they operate to move out of rehearsal and more into the production mode as a means of showcasing the talents of the actors they train? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, one of the when when Kim Creegis, who you know, who who founded Sixteenth Street, came and saw me in Sydney, she she'd heard about some of my work and um, and came up to see a production of of Mice and Men that I did up there. She good four or five years ago now, and um, invited me to come down. I've always been a little bit suspicious of, of, of um, becoming an acting guru or anything like that, you know, um, but, but I, I'm, a, I'm a deep believer in, um, in continuous training, and that's something that, you know, is well embedded in the art form in, in the United States, especially in New York, but also in London, you know, that the actors are continuously engaged in process, and that, that, that includes training, uh, scene studies, and also getting on the floor, you know, and, and as, we, as any artist, performing artist especially knows, there's, there's no substitute for, for flying hours on stage or, or on set. And um, we, we feel that at the studio we, we do a lot of very good work uh, in in you know, scene work in private over here, you know, and, and with uh, getting the other people like Larry Mossenon versus Al Mike Alfreds, you know, um, in in Rickson over to to give people that experience. But it's still not a substitute for the crucible, you know, <laughs> of of actually being in front of an audience. The sort of thing that say um, that, that stand up comics know really well. You know, you can you can have your jokes all laid out and present them uh, with to your friends and feel like it's great, but there's nothing like bombing. To, to learn really what what you, what an audience wants and how to how to really go through the the tough stuff, and so uh, burn this is, is is the beginning process of that where where we're going to launch into we're going to continue the processes that we teach here and continue to get the international people in, but also provide as many opportunities as we can for for actors, not just graduates from the school, but but actors across Australia to to come and and join in with us and actually get the 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 
on the floor flying hours up so you can just keep your keep yourself match fit i guess is the idea and continuous training is that way so we're going to pick the biggest most difficult plays you know burn this is is frightening when you first read it you think oh how are we going to do this you know um but that's that's exactly what what the idea is is that we really flex our muscles and, and keep growing our, our, st- our stage strength I'm certainly looking forward to seeing the production and being back in a room to watch that kind of live, actorly electricity happening in front of my eyes. Uh, I've missed being an audience member. Burn This <laughs> by too. Lanford Wilson, uh, presented by 16th Street Actors Studio on at 45 downstairs, located at 45 Flinders Lane in the CBD. From the 26th of January until the 7th of February, you can find out more info and book by going to www.45downstairs.com. I've been chatting with the production's director, Ian Sinclair. Ian, thanks so much for joining us and chookers for the season. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Time to find out what's in store for the 2021 Castlemaine State Festival, which launched its program this week and is running from the 19th of March until the 4th of April. Festival Director Glyn Roberts joins us on the line. Glyn, good morning and congratulations on launching and compiling a festival in the midst of what must have been pretty trying circumstances. Good morning, Richard, and thanks for your hearty congratulations and uh, sympathy. Uh, it's been... Um it's been a journey, I can say that. I can imagine. Because you would have started planning your 2021 festival, what, two years ago? Yes, I started planning this festival very early on and had a, a really clear idea of what I wanted it to be when the 2019 festival was even on. And I think there was that moment for many people, possibly it was June, July uh, of the year that there has been, where... It all dawned on us that, you know, this wasn't a blip that wasn't going to uh, change anytime soon. So all that international work, all that interstate collaborative work uh, disappeared. You know, it had to be just thrown out. And then we, then we just started again from, from scratch, uh, working really closely with, really, with some great OHS people who could guide us as to what formats we potentially could see working and then once we had that format or that hypothetical format it all kind of fell into place very quickly which that to hear to hear that it fell into place quickly is a relief given the the how kind of frustrating it must have been to basically to bin the the program that you developed because traditionally Castlemaine State Festival has a, a good strong representation of international work and as you say quite a lot of national work as well uh, and mm-hmm. given I mean we are now at a state where some state boundaries are opening up we've seen quite a few Melburnians head down to Mona Foma, for example so people are traveling mm. but as you say it that, that was clearly considered too great a gamble to say, well, maybe we could bring a circus company over from Adelaide or uh, a theatre company down from Brisbane or something like that. So yeah, it's, would, exactly. it, would it be fair to say then that this is a hyper-local festival? Is it much more Castle Maine than normal? It is, it is I think, yeah, much more Castle Maine, much more, much more central Victorian than, than, than normal um, and much more sort of geographically, I think, um, 
trying to make people stay longer and enjoy the local region for longer in general. That's visitors um, as well. Uh, There's a lot of Victorian work, a lot of great stuff from Melbourne as well. And I have the smallest sprinkling of work of artists from Sydney because they do like to live dangerously. Uh, and so there's just that little 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 edge there as well. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it's, it did come together quite quickly because the format essentially is, you know, outdoors. We're going to build some outdoor stages to present music, all different forms of music. Another one to present talks and literary things, text-based performance. And then what about all these buildings we used to use? Well, they can only have very intimate styles of, of experiences. And so the, the, these, these venues suddenly really dictated what would work and what wouldn't work and what artists would be up for it and those that, those that, um, that you know, possibly couldn't, um, you know, couldn't take part this time. Uh, we also then turned around to our partners in Friends in Bendigo at the Alambara Theatre um, and the Capitol and Bendigo Art Gallery and said, hey, there's, there's kind of things that we can't do here. Um, could you say, present some great contemporary circus with, like, one fell swoop at the Alambara Theatre, because uh, that'll look great there. And, you know, and, and they've, they've risen to the challenge as well. And, and, you know, we've got the Mary Quant exhibition in our program that's at Bendigo Art Gallery as well. So we're going to have people hopefully moving up and down the tracks over these 17 days of the festival. It certainly makes sense for the festival to partner with uh, someone like the Bendigo Art Gallery, given uh, they have the infrastructure, uh, and uh, and given that uh, Castlemaine and Bendigo are quite close to one another as well. It's you know it's a, a way to strengthen relationships, but then also, as you say, to strengthen uh, tourism opportunities for for visitors exactly. who can uh, bring presumably much needed tourist dollars to uh, to kind of regional centres, regional towns, and by staying a, an extra day or two, a night in Bendigo, because, two yeah. nights in Castlemaine. Exactly, and and we. It just dawned on me the only way out of this was just to partner, 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 and to just collaborate, come together with those that are here on a hyper-local level, and we can rise out of this together. As I said before, the festival is now 17 days long. It used to, usually it was 10 days long, but we realised once we, you know, we put the program into the matrix that cleaning, cleaning of all these venues suddenly slowed the whole festival down. So we needed massive gaps between these things and quite a large amount of resources to be able to do this deep cleaning every time we do a show. And so simply by doing that, it made the festival um, seven days longer. Uh, You've mentioned, for example, the idea of staging things outdoors, which is uh, kind of more COVID-safe, certainly, than clustered in a a small theatre space. Um, I believe you're even using the local swimming hole we are using what is known as the res, or the Expedition Pass Reservoir, uh, and uh, my dear friend and great artist Dan Coop and his colleague uh, Dan Constance are working, Daniel Constance um, are working with Punctum, uh, and they're putting on a piece called Here Here, which is a you know a great piece of live art wandering through the bush, uh, and you tune into kind of mysterious. Uh, bush radio station that, that they, these guys are broadcasting and you kind of experience 
experience our wonderful reservoir in a new and exciting way. Now, one of the other things that I've enjoyed about visiting Castlemaine State Festival in the past, uh, the visual arts program has always been very strong, uh, yeah. as well as the curated program within the festival. There's been the open studios opportunities for many of the local artists to open up their doors for people to, to drop in and visit. Will that be continuing? Because... Uh, I'm, I'm thinking you don't want, I don't know, 20 people suddenly turning up simultaneously mm. to wander through your studio. You, if you limit it to one or two, it's fine. But even then, presumably there's a risk of uh, too many people coming through increases the chance of spreading a virus yeah. around. How has that aspect of the program been adapted for COVID-safe conditions? So we put, you know, we put the word out to, to those that might want to take part. And we actually have a, had a really good response of those who want to still open up their studios, have the space uh, to be able to do it. It's, it's a reduced um, subscription, but it's some great artists in there, such as Sarah Koshak, Michael Wolf, uh, And so we're, we're really excited that people can still go out and we will work with these guys to maintain, help them with COVID safety and contract tracing and cleaning and, and things like that. But also, uh, you know, if things restrictions increase, we can also transition their studio, as it were, onto our website and simply be, uh, and, and our website can turn into sort of an online shop for these studios if things, uh, things do go um, in a bad direction. Because we really, you know, it's a fantastic thing for audiences to get out and see all these, art, all these artists and see their work. But also it's a revenue stream for these artists. And we didn't want to get, you know, we didn't want to get in the way of that. And we didn't want to, um, you know, impact that as, as much as possible. So it's quite, um, we're, you know, we're, it is such an important thing, particularly with a festival that's slightly slower. This kind of, uh, you know, people are going to have more time to explore the region widely during the day. They'll also have a chance to explore the town itself because you'll, you're effectively, I understand, turning some of the streets of Castlemaine into uh, an outdoor art gallery with the project Inside Out Castlemaine. Yeah, Inside Out, I'm very excited about that. Um, working with J.R., the French paste-up artist, uh, you know, he's you know, fairly world-renowned. You may have seen his documentary with Agnes Varga, Bada, um, and he's got a big work, big commission at NGV Triennial at the moment as well. But this is his community-focused project where uh, a community wants to explore its, its, its people, its beautiful faces, and we gather portraiture, selfies, if you will, from around the community, uh, young people, old people, uh, in between, and then we work with JR to print these off into gorgeous big AO, even bigger, spectacular, you know, versions of their faces. And we're going to put it along our new headquarters, which is um, uh, the Castleman Good Sheds. It's a building that's 100, I think it's 100 metres long. <coughs> and it'll be very big. And then there's another large railway warehouse uh, just to the north of that building. So you're going to have almost you know, a huge section of one street just covered in the gorgeous faces of our locals. Now, the festival uh, also has a very distinctive uh, kind of conversations thread, I guess you'd call it. Uh, it's more than just a talks, a talks program. It's not somebody pontificating. It's people engaged in conversation at a time when we need to talk and we need also to listen because far too much of the contemporary tone is shouting at people and not listening to what they have to say. Um, in terms of curating this stream of the program, it's clearly been an important thread for the festival for a while. Did the, the fact that 
people can't travel interstate, can't travel internationally at the moment, actually make it easier to program this aspect of the festival? Okay, yes, uh, yes and no. We, I worked with a great curator, this one, Kristen Gill. Uh, she is a publisher at Penguin and also runs a small press and books selling outfit here in town called Northern Books. And they do literary events all year round. And, and we wanted to, you know, we thought, you know, in the context of COVID and the context of restrictions, this program was going to be very important because it's one of the most flexible ones when it comes to restrictions. And so we built a nice stage. We're building a nice stage in the botanical gardens. We wanted to look at community. We wanted to look at Australian identity, particularly in a time where we can't leave the island. Um, and and to always through a regional uh, lens. Uh, and, you know, once we sort of did that and started putting the feelers out, we were just so lucky to be able to, um, you know, attract some great, great people to come and talk about various things that they're passionate about, like former Foreign Minister Gareth Evans, talk about whether or not Australia is being a good global citizen. Um, you know, just uh, Archie Roach and Dan Kelly will be just talking about, you know, Archie Roach's legacy together. Um, the always amazing Tim Costello, uh, so kind of coming at a similar thing as Gareth, talking about our soul, whether or not Australia has lost its soul or is gaining a soul potentially through, through this, um, through this uh, whole experience. And, uh, you know, and finally, I've always wanted to do this, doing a bit of a great debate, uh, which is very exciting, uh, a socially distanced debate, of course, and we're going to explore are uh, uh, great leaders born or are they made? And so it's really exciting. And, of course, the great Don Watson just exploring his herbs and Helen Garner coming along to talk further about her memoirs. So it's a very exciting thing, and it's really the heart of the festival uh, because Castleman loves the chat and we love to get to the bottom of things, and, and this is all about that. Now, Castle Maine State Festival running from the 19th of March to the 4th of April, opening with uh, a free event with Ajak Kwai and the Bendigo South Sudanese Women's Ensemble. Uh, there's Indigenous storytelling in the event as well, One Sky, Many Stories. Uh, and there's a couple of new theatrical works being developed as well, which I just briefly wanted to touch on. Soul of Possum, which is, uh, I believe, a play reading of a new work by uh, Womba Womba writer Brody Murray. That's right. Uh, Brody is, you know, Castlemaine born and bred, and he is also a student at Whopper doing the Indigenous Theatre course, and, and, a, and a, a really exciting emerging playwright. And so we had to get behind this project, and we gave these guys a bit of um, commission money. And in the middle of the year, we had a bit of a COVID commission program. Uh, the full production of this will take place later on in the year at Urumboy. And, but we wanted to sort of support the, the sort of development or the very late period of the development and put on a season of, the, of a, a live reading of this play because I think so many people here would be uh, really you know, passionate about what Brody's doing. Uh, and so it should be incredible. And I'm really excited to be able to support this, um, this exciting local artist. So a new First Nations theatrical work and also then a new work reflecting on the history of Castlemaine uh, during the Gold Rush era, the, uh, a work called Finding Fanny Finch, which will be, what, part performance, part theatre, part music? Part theatre, part music, part um, genealogy, uh, you know, part historical essay. So historian uh, Casey Sinclair, the Trove historian, started exploring this figure, this woman who was from an African 
background but was an orphan in the United Kingdom, emigrates to Australia during the gold rush, becomes a publican, becomes a, a brothel madam, uh, and then subsequently, because she's a landowner, becomes one of the first women, the first women to vote uh, on anything in, in Australia. She was a firebrand, a, a unique figure, uh, and, she's, and she's buried here in Castle Maine in, in our cemetery. And through Casey's research, she discovered that uh, Bill Garner and Alice Gardner, you may know Alice Gardner, the actress, um, were directly related to her. And so she revealed this to them, and they um, found this amazing and fascinating. And so they've created this, um, this piece which just explores this woman's life and also, uh, you know, also, you know, their, their understanding and, um, and, and how this sort of story is revealed to them as, uh, as it sort of came to fall. There's, I feel like we've barely scratched the surface of the program. There's, we could keep going for another half hour, but uh, if people want to explore the Castle Main State Festival program in detail uh, for yourself, jump online, go to castlemainfestival.com.au. The festival is running from the 19th of March to the 4th of April. I definitely recommend heading up to Castlemain for a weekend to experience the festival in detail. Uh, and while you're there, head on up to Bendigo to, uh, for the, the exhibition being presented at uh, Bendigo Art Gallery in conjunction with Castlemain State Festival. But that website again, castlemainfestival.com.au from the 19th of March to the 4th of April. I've been chatting with Festival Director Glyn Roberts. Glyn, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. 